today on the Tearsheet Podcast. A lot of people are needing help. They need help to put food on the table. They are making decisions, trying to figure out, can I actually go to work? If I don't go to work, how am I going to be able to pay rent? They are making trade-offs between getting medication to like getting food. These are, these are ex- extreme circumstances. And it's not like one or two people experiencing it. We, we have so many people that are unemployed, so many people that need help right now. Is that really what we need to focus on, like a, a shiny UI? I would say no. We need to do better, and we have the technology to do better. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. Today's guest is Theodora Lau, the founder of Unconventional Ventures. When you listen to her, Theo challenges the industry to do better. Instead of producing another colored metallic debit card, she'd like to see real financial innovation that helps the people hurting the most, the unemployed, the poor, the older demographic. We discuss the financial industry's relationship with consumer well-being and where needs aren't being met. Theo describes what would need to happen to improve financial outcomes. Lastly, we talk about AI and algorithms and the challenges they impose on us all. Theodora Lau is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Hi, so um, thanks for having me. My name is Theodora Lau, and I'm the founder of Unconventional Ventures. It's a boutique firm that I founded with my partner in crime, Bradley Lima. And um, we, the goal is to provide more opportunities um, for people, founders, who otherwise are not typically being noticed. Um, we do a lot of connecting between the founders and the funders. We want to improve the financial services industry so that we can broaden the opportunities for the underserved demographics, such as the gig economy workers, the older adults. And is it typically, Theo, is it typically, is it okay if I call you Theo? Yes, Theo is perfect. <laughs> is, is, it, is there a, a general connection between um, I, I, the, the type of founder who, who, found, who founds a, a startup that focuses on underbanked and unbanked? Is there a connection there? Is there like a, a certain characteristic about those types of people that would do that? Yeah, it's actually a really, really interesting question. Um, many of the founders that we run into in the space that focus at uh, serving the underserved, they typically have a story, um, a passion for trying to change the ecosystem, either because they've gone through episodes in their lives or someone close to them have gone through um, challenges. So it makes them more passionate about trying to change the status quo and trying to, to provide better financial services access to people. Totally agree with that. Like we've done almost 400 episodes on the Tearsheet podcast and um, we're seeing more and more entrepreneurs focus on the underbanked and unbanked and more likely than not, they have a, they have a personal story involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's actually exactly the same as those that are looking at the ecosystem for older adults. Many of them, you will be, um, you'll be fascinated by the people that are in that community. They do not look any like your typical FinTech founders. Um, a lot of them are a little older. A lot of them have families that they've been taking care of. A lot of them can tell you episodes where, you know, what triggered them to action. Either they have a loved one who ends up in the hospital and obviously they found themselves in the um, caregiver role that they hadn't planned for before, or they have some close relatives that got exploited by scammers. So 
that's typically what we see are people that are driven by not just their passion, but seeing firsthand how we need to do a better job in protecting some of the people. I'm just thinking about as you're interviewing founders, how um, inspirational that might be that process of uh, vetting out new companies. It's inspirational, but also I think um, in a sense, I get a little bit more um, outraged. That might be, mm. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a good word to use. But yeah, well, let's talk about that outrage. Right? Where does it come from or what is it aimed at? I think it, it's, it's like story after story and after story of why are we not doing things that can make things right? Why are we not focusing on opportunities that are you know, right in front of us? Why do we keep chasing after the shiny new toy? Right. So, for example, if you think about financial services, you think about the fintech innovation, a lot of the original premise of that was we need to, quote unquote, disrupt the financial services industry, because we feel like what the banks are doing right now is not really serving a broader demographic. Right. We want to be different. We want to challenge the status quo. Now, fast forward to where we are well, where we were half a year ago, let, let, let's skip the last few months. Um, a lot of, the, a lot of the, the, the startups, I feel like they were still chasing after the shiny new toy, right? Mm-hmm. It, it, there were so many of the same models that keep popping up. They're all you know, going after the same demographics of people. They're Debit all- cards in all the colors. Yes, yeah. and metal <laughs> cards, yes, let, let's do it. Let's have another, cr- I mean, actually it was funny last week, I, I think we came across at least three new mm-hmm. um, cards that came out, right? So it's, are you really doing something different or are you just, you know, quote unquote saying, oh, look at how chic and shiny we are. Look at, you know, the customer experience. It's like, it takes like X clicks to onboard, but okay, what else, right? What else other than easy onboarding? What else other than like, a new, nice, clean interface? Because, I mean, think about where we are right now. We are at a state where we have unprecedented recession, mm-hmm. unemployment. A lot of people are needing help. They need help to put food on the table. They are making decisions, trying to figure out, can I actually go to work? If I don't go to work, how am I going to be able to pay rents? They are making trade-offs between getting medication to like getting food. These are These are... Ex- extreme circumstances, and it's not like one or two people experiencing it. We, we have so many people that are unemployed, so many people that need help right now. Is that really what we need to focus on, like a, a, a shiny UI? I would say no. We need to do better, and we have the technology to do better, right? Look at, for example, um, Propel, Jimmy, and look at what he has been able to do, teaming up and putting cash in the hands of the people that need it the most. It's not a shiny new toy. It's identif- using technology to identify the people that actually need the help to get food. And he was working with, um, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a project called Project 100. Um, and they were teaming up together to put cash in the hands of people who need it the most. That's the premise. That's the promise of how technology can enable us to do things better. So it sounds like what you're saying is like, obviously moving money from one place to another, just another debit card doesn't really solve some of the underlying societal problems. Um, 
that can it, be addressed by financial services. Yeah. Yeah. So, absolutely. so can you explain why? Like, are the incentives mixed up? Like, why, why, why are, why are so many resources going into fixing or addressing things that aren't actually addressing these problems? That's a million dollar question. <laughs> I think it depends on how much. I have a startup. Yeah, no. Have. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's actually a really interesting question, um, and and I I don't think we'll do it um, right if we just broad stroke an answer. I think there are many many different aspects and facets to it, and also depends on what region you're in, right? So, for example, you look at the Far East, and you look at what Alipay and Tencent. WeChat Pay has been able to do, and it's phenomenal. What they did is they, they look at the demographics in China. A lot of them are unbanked a couple of years ago. A lot of them are micro and small business owners. They are the ones that were driving the economy. They're the ones that make up, if I remember correctly, 60% of the GDP. And they are also the ones who were underserved by big financial institution, similar story in the US. And so what they did was they they create solutions such as the very infamous QR code, but it's more than that, right? They create a platform that allow these micro and small business owners to go get access to loans. When we're talking about financial inclusion, when we're talking about serving the unbanked and underbanked, it's more than just creating a bank account. It's what do you do with it? How can you leverage that access to get them to, to help them get, get, get money, get microloans, so that mm -hmm. they can use that to expand their business, right? So that they can get access to wealth management, so they can start saving and investing. All of these are tools to help people build wealth. And so if you look at, there was a, a case study that, that recently came out from Alipay, um, done by a university in Singapore. And, and you look at the ability of that platform to be able to not just create jobs, but create economic opportunities, create ability for people to, to build wealth, to grow. It's phenomenal. Like the number of people that were in poverty and to be able to raise them up to be middle class, that in itself is a testament of what we can do with financial technology. That is a testament of how tech enabling what you call digital finance or whatever name you want to put in it, how you can move groups of people out from poverty. And that's the promise of tech is not to, you know, create a, a new pretty UI is, is what you can do with the ability to move money. And, and I feel like we're not doing enough of that in the U S now people will say, well, you know, because we have a legacy infrastructure, right. Where we already had something in, in place. We have abilities to write checks. I'm actually still writing checks. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it's, it's much more costly to propel the infrastructure to the next level. Sure, but we need to start somewhere, right? And, and so that is one big problem. And I think the other one is the incentives is not in the right place. When you have a business model that's built on fees, overdraft fees, late fees, processing fees and all of that. that. That is what a lot of these institutions are, are built on, right? There was, there was a, an article in New York Times um, recently that talked about the amount of overdraft fees that- I think it was like 36 billion a year in yes. the US, something like that. Yes, yeah. and, and a lot of that is the low income folks, the folks who can't afford that fee. 
right? And, and so you put that in perspective, what can we do better as an industry to serve those people so we are not continually gouging them in, the, in a way that they continually get stuck in that cycle? So, so it sounds still like, I mean, your writing, your, your public speaking, your investment firm is focused on helping to right these wrongs. Um, can, can you give some examples of some of the companies doing, doing it right? Like you mentioned Propel, like are there other firms, even if you've, if you've invested in with them or, or whatever, um, can you give us some examples of the companies, I guess, th- that you could point to as sort of like, hey, that's, that's an interesting model. Like that's something that may be the future here. Yeah, yeah. So um, Chime is, is really interesting, right? So if you look at Chime, it's, it's built on transparency, right? Transparency to fees, which is some, one of the things that we always complain about with banks. Um, Aspiration is another amazing one. Mm. So Andre, we're big fans of them. It's, I don't think I have seen anyone else who would came out and say, you can pay us however much that you feel it's right, right? They don't set a fee. They let, they let their consumers, they let the customers decide it. And they tie it. They also tie their work to sustainability, which I think is really important right now, right? It's not a check at the box. It's not like, oh, look, I planted a tree. It's more than that. Sustainability, thinking about our future, should be part of everything that we do, regardless of which industry you're in. So in the re- remaining time we have, there were two things I wanted to talk about, um, two things that you've spoken about. <laughs> Um, one is sort of AI and, and algorithms and some of the impact that some of those, um, you know, sort of programmatic rules might ha- impact on a societal level. And the other is, and you mentioned earlier in this, in this conversation, is um, finance and the older generation. So um, can we start with AI and algos and some of maybe the, the, the dystopian view of that and, and, and <laughs> how, how to approach that in, in a way that is better for everybody? Um, I, I think first and foremost, which you probably heard of a lot, is you need more diversity in the people that are creating the programming, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and I think that's a no-brainer. Like, look at one example I always use is voice technology. All the devices that we have, doesn't matter if you're a Siri or Google or Amazon, Alexa, they're all built on data. And that data is not diverse. So when that data set is not diverse, you mm-hmm. cannot assume that solution that thereby being created can serve a large demographic. So case in point, I am, you know, I was born and raised in, in Hong Kong and I do have an accent and it becomes more pronounced in the evening when I get tired. My husband is Turkish. He was born in Germany. So he has yet several different sets of accents. Mm-hmm. My children are born here and they also speak Chinese and Turkish and English and Spanish and wow. we're teaching them French. So if you look at our household, it's multilingual household. None of these devices can actually understand us mm. in a way that we need it to. It's, it's not really usable to me, aside from setting a timer. Even that, I have challenge with it. Um, it knows my kids better than, than it understands me. And, and why is that? It's not because I don't speak English. It's because how those devices get trained, they didn't have a diverse enough data set that represents people enough. Like it, it, it does a good job in identifying a subset of the English population that doesn't have a big draw, doesn't have a big accent, but whenever it moves out of that area, it doesn't really work well. There are 7,000 languages, living languages in this world. A third of them are African languages. 
None of these devices serve that. So when we're thinking about AI, we're thinking about the premise of that, being able to make decisions, being able to help us, help humans, and need to represent the humans that are living in this world. And they are not doing that right now. You're thinking about facial recognition, another thing that's being used in AI, not just in banking, but beyond that. Can it actually identify people of color well enough? I would say not. Can it actually identify people of mixed race? It actually doesn't. There has been enough case studies and examples out there that these systems misidentify people. Again, it's because the people that are creating these algorithms are not diverse. The data set that they're being used is not diverse. So I would say when we're talking about AI, we're talking about algo. Um, I would paraphrase someone who told that to me. I don't think we need to be worried about the algorithm. What we need to worry about is the unskilled wishers, which is the people controlling the algorithms. Hmm. Oh, I like that. That's powerful. Uh-huh. And so, so let, let's shift to that last question about um, financial services and fintech aimed towards um, old, the older generation. Um, are you seeing a lot happening there? I guess, well, let's start where the older generation maybe is underserved and, and, and maybe talk about you know, ways to, to serve them better. The, the older demographics is absolutely underserved. And I think a lot of that has to do with bias in our industry. Um, we've been looking at this space for quite a few years now. And I still remember one time on stage, I was telling someone, well, you know, I think AI machine learning can do amazing things for, for the older demographics because those are the people that have some assets they need to figure out how to decumulate, right? Wealth accumulation is not something that we do a good job in unless you have a financial advisor. So how does one go about deciding when they can retire, how much they can afford to spend on a daily basis? These are seemingly simple questions that is getting more complex because of the fact that we live in an extra 30 years compared to early 1900s. Because of the fact that we have multiple generations of family living with us, then we need to think about taking care of them financially, right? But the way we think about money, our relationship with money and our planning has not changed. And this is where I think AI and data analytics can do a great job, powerful job in trying to figure out those complex questions. But whenever I bring them up that time on stage, the banker, who I would not quote their institution, he turned and looked at me in front of the whole audience. They are, we're not interested in old people. Literally, mic drop moment. Wow. Another conference I was in last year, very prominent conference. Again, I would not name names. Someone came and told me that, well, yeah, what you say is interesting, but if these are older people, I already have their money in my bag. Why do I need to do anything for them? Now, <laughs> again, why? Well, let's think about why because they do have money in the bank, they're your customer, A, maybe it's your duty to think about what more you can do for them, and B, instead of trying to make yourself look really hip and cool and trying to run after their grandchildren, how about trying to do something for them as a family? Think about how you can help them as multiple generations live and work together. What is the best solution to serve not just one person, but that chain of people, perhaps if you actually do something useful, that might be a good way to win the trust of the rest of the family, right? I mean, there are a lot of things that we can do. I, again, I think it, and it's not 
people think about old people as they say, well, you know, they're old and fragile. And the first thing they think about is fraud. But it's not that, is it? It's, it's bias again, because we are working much later into our lives than we used to. People are not retiring at 60s anymore. They're working until 70s or maybe even longer. A lot of them are actually financing their grandchildren's or their children's tuition. They're paying for their tuition. A lot of them, they're also taking care of them, not just financially, but personally. So there is a lot of dynamics between generations is being played out. And there's absolutely a whole lot that we can do for them. Are you seeing new company formation uh, addressing older demographics? We have been seeing them um, actually ever since we started looking at this a couple of years ago. The unfortunate thing is um, not many VCs are interested in them mm. because again, they said, well, why do I want to go finance you know, a, a startup that's looking at old people when I can go and look at something for Gen Z's? right? That's, that's the future, or so they think. Mm-hmm. Um, or, you know, uh, there's also the misconception of, well, old, older people don't use technology, so no, we're not going to be looking at things that, you know, is catered towards old people. Again, that is outdated bias, isn't it? Because if you think about it, a lot, of the, a lot of the technology that we're using that came out 20, 30 years ago, a lot of them actually creates it and being popularized by people that are in the quote-unquote older demographics. I mean, crying out loud, I'm almost 50. So if you're going to say to my face that I'm an old person and I don't use technology, I think I'll be very offended. Yo, it's great talking to you. Thanks for joining us on the Tier Sheet Podcast today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me.